If you'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Seems like for those of you who have been around, we've been in Colossians for a long time. And we're still only in chapter 2. But uh, for those of you who haven't been, I'm going to read the passage we're going to be looking at. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. It says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. May God's word be a blessing to our hearts, and may the Lord give us understanding as we look into his word. Let's seek the Lord as we begin to look at his word. Father, we thank you that in your great love and mercy you have given us your word so we can know and understand and hear what you have to say. And in your wisdom, you've given us the Holy Spirit to be within us, to be our teacher and guide. And Lord, I pray for myself this morning as I take your word and look at it and open it up by your spirit that I might hear him and follow him and be obedient to him. And for each one of us who are sitting here, including myself, Father, that we might hear what you have to say to us and by the grace of God follow in obedience. Thank you for your presence and your help. Thank you for your grace and goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. I decided that, uh, seeing I knew there would be people here who probably weren't here when we first started looking at this, that a little review wouldn't hurt. And I thought of uh, what Paul said in uh, uh, Philippians. Uh, He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you to me, Indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. 
And so for those of you who may have heard this and may remember it, <laughs> I put that little may in there, may remember it, uh, 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 it will be safe, it will be a blessing. As, and as Peter says in his uh, second epistle, he said, uh, I, I'm writing these things to you, not that I don't think you don't know them. I know you know them. But as long as I am living in this tent, that's what he calls his body, I'm living in this tent, I'm going to just keep reminding you anyway. So uh, that's what I'm going to do. But I think it's important for us to remember what this whole section is dealing with and what it's teaching. Um, as I pointed out uh, this it, it's a very interesting section because it deals with the things that affect Christian growth and the church and maturity and where we are going as believers. And there are four issues that he deals with in this section from chapter 2 verse 6 down to the end of chapter 3 and verse 10. And the, the, the whole purpose of Paul is showing us that these things are there in the world and yet Christ is sufficient for everything that we need today and tomorrow and for anything that comes against us. Our sufficiency is of God. And so that's vital and important for us to understand. And let me just say that he, uh, he says very carefully that uh, everything you need in Christ is because of his provision that he's made on the cross and in his resurrection. And you'll see he repeats this over and over again. This is, this is Paul's uh, theme and his mantra that everything I need is in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. I live in his life. I live in his death. I live in his resurrection. I am a conqueror because I am in him and I live in him and I live by him and I live through him and he is my life. That's why he can say in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm living yet not I, but it's Christ who is living in me and the life which I now am living I am living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me what, what a wonderful thing and so we see all of this and, and then he ties this all together with the fact that everything that Christ did he, we were involved with him his death his resurrection and we are involved with him in his present glory as we spend time with him in, in, his, in the heavenlies. So, the four things he deals with, first in chapter 2 verses, actually from verse 2 to verse 10, is what we call humanism. Humanism is the idea of man-made philosophies the ideas of the world being integrated into the church. And uh, man-made philosophies have never been successful in running the church, but they have been very successful in killing the church. And uh, I think uh, it's different now than it was then, but it's the same tool. The devil only makes it look different, but he's doing the same thing over and over again in trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And humanism 
And uh, uh, we have so much of it in the church today. It's man-centered, man-doing, man is in the operation, and Christ is kind of like in, in the book of uh, Revelation, the church of Laodicea in chapter 3. He's at the outside knocking, saying, let me into your church. I, I want to come in and bless you and have fellowship with you. Humanism. If you look at verse 8, he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, the tradition of men after the rudiments of this world, that is, the principles of this world, and not after Christ. So that's the first thing he's concerned about in, in, in this whole section. The second thing he deals with in, actually there's two things he deals with in uh, uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 23. And the first is found in 11 through 17. He deals with legalism. Now there's two kinds of legalism, and I think we have to understand this. He's... he's talking here about legalism that is taken from the scriptures. Did you know that we could take legalism from the scriptures? Well, they, they go into the Old Testament scriptures and bring them into the New Testament and make them a legal responsibility for those of us who are believers. And we'll see how he deals with that because we'll be dealing with that passage. But there's another kind of legalism that is often uh, rampant in the church, and that's what I call human legalism. That is, we have rules and regulations as to how we should live and walk that make us look like Christians. Did you get that? Look like Christians. I remember growing up, I've been around longer than some of you. <laughs> and when I was growing up, uh, 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 the mark of a real Christian was the fact that girls didn't wear lipstick. You know, you didn't go to the movies. You didn't do anything on Sunday. I mean, there was a whole list of rules and regulations. And if you did all of those things, you were really good. You, you were a good Christian. Uh, that's, that's human legalism. We, we have a whole set of rules made up, you see, that we follow. And we think, okay, and Paul's going to talk about this later on. All of that, you can do all of that, and that doesn't make you holy. You say, well, am I not supposed to do anything? Yes. But what you do is what God works in you and what you work out. You see, that's holiness. That's true holiness. Then he talks about intellectualism. That's the next thing he deals with in verses 18 through 23. Intellectualism is the emphasis upon knowledge. Now, when Paul was writing, the, the issue was with what was then known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism just comes from the Greek word to know. It, it means knowledge. And knowledge is what makes you a Christian. The more you know, the better Christian you are. And Paul argues, no, it's your relationship with Christ. 
Does that mean I shouldn't know? I better know. I better learn. I better study to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But all the information that I can get, I can get from the word of God is not going to transform me by itself. <laughs> Did you get that? By itself. The transformation comes by the work of the Spirit with the Word of God. The Spirit works and it teaches us and it also comes out of our intimacy and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we'll see this because Paul deals with this. And uh, knowledge, yes, it's important. Very important. But, but we need to make sure that uh, we... Don't count on knowledge. Let me just quote two passages that Paul in writing to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, he says, Now touching things offered to idols, and he's talking about these general principles of legalism again. You can't eat this, you can't eat that, you can't touch this, you can't touch that. He says, we know that we all have knowledge. All of us, all of us have knowledge. So is that good? He says, well, knowledge puffeth up. <laughs> Makes me puff. <laughs> I know more about the Bible than you do. You know, uh, knowledge puffeth up. But notice he said, love edifieth. What does he mean by that statement, love edifieth? When we are filled with the love of Christ and the love of God is filling our hearts and minds, then we are growing in grace and we are being matured into the people that God wants us to be. He says, knowledge puff it up. And he says, if any man think he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> that's quite a statement, Paul. What are, you, what are you talking about? He knoweth nothing. Yet, he says, yet as he ought to know. In other words, I don't know as much as I think I know. But I, I, I am learning, and I should be learning, and I should be growing in my knowledge. He says, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. And he says, the issue is, does God know me, and uh, have I got a relationship with him? And then in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says, and that's that beautiful chapter that deals with love and how love affects us. Listen to what he says. Though I have the gift of prophecy, that is, I can speak with all power and authority and understand all mysteries. I know everything that is revealed in the scripture and I got it under my belt. And all knowledge, all knowledge. And though I have faith so that I could remove a mountain, and have not love. I'm a pretty great guy. <laughs> no, he says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. So knowledge in and of itself is very dangerous. And if you look at those first three things, they're all dealing with external things and external things that touch us externally. Whether you're, you're talking uh, uh, about humanism, whether you're talking about uh, 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 legalism, 
or whether you're talking about intellectualism, they're, they're all just outward things. But the fourth thing he deals with is internal. It's internal. And he's dealing there with what I call annihilation. Uh, if I could coin a word, and I'll do that right now, I would call it annihilationism. How's that for a nice new word? So you can go home with a new word in your dictionary, annihilationism. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul, Paul is saying there are things that are in our flesh that have to be annihilated, that have to be wiped out. And he gives us two commands in that portion of Scripture that I read earlier. First in verse 5, in, in the King James it reads, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. But a literal translation of that is probably accordingly, or uh, the, the word there could be translated right now. Right now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Right now. Right now. Put to death. Put to death. All the things of the flesh that you have, that you operate with, by the flesh. Put him to death. Put him to death. That's the first command. Annihilate it. Wipe it out. Wipe it out. Get rid of it. Put it to death. And then the second command is found in verse 8. He says, But ye also put off all of these. Or again, let me just give you a, a little translation. To the contrary, cast off or renounce throw away get rid of it annihilate it he says all of these and and actually there's no these there it's just all everything everything that he has mentioned before above and everything that he will mention after that are the deeds of the flesh he says annihilate them wipe them out they should not be part of your life and that's why I had can read that portion of scripture because the apostle Paul says uh, should we go on sinning because we have grace he said don't even think about it don't even think about it why because you died to sin when you died with Christ and you've been raised again to a new life so forget about sinning annihilate the sin because you have died with Christ and have been raised together with him did you get that you don't do it in your power you do it in association with what Christ has done in you and for you you died together with him you were raised together with him therefore put to death the deeds of the flesh we'll get back there in a minute because Paul, Paul gets back there in this uh, chapter so, uh, if you look at that uh, uh, third chapter, you'll see the first four verses, Paul deals with all the resources we have for annihilation. Notice he says, since you are risen with Christ, since you can be with him in the heavenlies, since you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God, then you can begin the process. Did you get that? I didn't say complete it. Just begin the process of annihilation. The process of annihilation. 
to get rid of all those things that are hindering our maturity and growth in Christ. Okay, so that's, that's, that's the context in which we're finding the passage that we're going to be looking at. And now we're going to be dealing with this whole concept of legalism and how legalism affects us. And uh, um, let me just give you an outline of this section, verses 11 through 17. In verse 11, and this is important, and this is where we all have to start, he starts with our transformation. Our transformation. How and what happened to us so that we are who we are today. Our transformation. And then in verse 12, he deals with what I call the operation necessary for that transformation. In other words, what had to be done so that we could be transformed. And then third, in verse 13, he talks about the provision that comes from the transformation. In other words, God didn't just save us to be what we were. But he saved us to become something else. And so there's a provision that he has given to us. Verse 14, he goes back and talks about the action producing that transformation. The action producing that transformation. And then in verse 15, and I, I, I love verse 15, because it talks about the protection because of that transformation. God not only transformed us, but he protected us. He's made it possible for us to be protected as his people. Then verse 16 in the first part of 17. Uh, I've called this the execution that is not transformation. The execution that is not transformation. And uh, this is where that legalism comes in. You can do all kinds of things. But that doesn't mean you're transformed. You know. Like people said, just because I walked in the garage yesterday didn't mean I became a car. Yeah. Uh, uh, there, there has to be, there has to be uh, uh, more than an outward activity. And then the last half of verse 17, he deal, deals with what I call the realization of the transformation in Christ. The realization of the transformation in Christ. Christ. That's where it happens. So we're going to look at this section, but uh, I thought maybe it would be good for us to take a running start at this and go back to verse 6 and just do a quick survey from verse 6 down. Because if you look at verse 11, he starts with the uh, phrase, in whom, and he's referring to what he's been talking about in verses 6 through 10. And so it's important for us to just take a few moments and go back and look at what he said in verses 6 through 10. And uh, uh, I think it's important for us to understand that. Now, if you go back to verse 6, and this is a key verse. If you can get this verse in your heart and mind and understand it, it is one of the great principles of the Christian life. <clears throat> it, says, it says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, or probably better translated, according 
in the same manner you had received the anointed one, Christ, continue walking in the sphere of him. Now, I just want to point out uh, and ask the question, how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? by grace Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9 he says for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is what the gift of God not of works why? I'm going to heaven because I, I'm a good guy. See, nobody, nobody can boast. We're, we're going to heaven because God did it. Because God did it. And that's what he's saying here. Now, let me just point out in that verse, there are two negative things, two negative statements. He says, in, in, in the original, it means not out of yourselves. Not something that comes out of you. There's nothing in you that can come out that is any good. So he said it's not something that comes out of yourselves. And the second negative statement he makes after he talks about the gift of God. He says not out of works. And he, what he's saying is not out of works that come out of yourself. Now let me, let me just clarify here. He is not saying that, that we don't have responsibility to work. Because if you look back at chapter 1 in the uh, last verse of chapter 1, Paul says, whereunto I labor. He says, I, I work, I'm working. And, and we have a responsibility in our Christian life. But the responsibility is not to work from within ourselves, but to work with what God provides for us and out of God's provision to act upon and work out what God has put in. You see the distinction? Got it? Okay. Now, there are two things he says positively that are the cause of salvation. Grace. Somebody has said that already. And that's important. What is grace? What is grace? Let me give you. And I love this. This is a, le a lex lexiconical de definition. But I, I like it. It says. The absolutely free expression. Of the loving kindness of God to men. Finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver, with a capital G, unearned and unmerited favor. Out of the bounty and benevolence of God. That's what the grace of God is. And it's important that I am saved because God is one who is bountiful in his love and that's what grace is talking about his love is so great that he poured it out upon me and he gave it to me so we have grace 
But let me remind you, because of Paul's statement, that we are not only saved by grace, but we are sanctified by the same grace. The same grace that was at work to save us is the same grace that keeps us on track and keeps us going and keeps us where God wants us to be. It's that same grace. It never changes. His love never changes. His attitude towards you as his child never changes. His grace continues to pour out and he pours it out and he pours it out and it's there for you. And so he says, as you have received, in the same way, in the same way, walk. So that's important. Now, the second thing is faith. That's, that's the instrument that God has given to us so that we can take hold of the grace of God that is found in the Word of God. And so the faith is God's gift to us so that I can move ahead in my Christian life. And sometimes my faith is weak, sometimes it needs to be strengthened, and sometimes God needs to give me a shot in the head so that I straighten out and take hold of his faith and walk the way I should. But whatever it is, you see, God is in the business of activating a faith that takes hold of the grace. And where is the faith and the grace all bound together? It's in the word of God. You see, that's why Paul, when he's talking to the elders at Ephesus, talks about the word of grace. It's the word of grace. And that's why the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of grace. And so we believe in the word. We believe in the spirit. And all of this draws us together. Paul says, and I'm sure most of you who know the Lord here could uh, quote this verse for in Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 he says for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile and he says for therein in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed it's in the gospel that God's righteousness is revealed. He says, For from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And that's the way we live as believers. Uh, we, we live by faith. By the way, it's very interesting. The, the, the phrase there, uh, uh, it says, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to salvation. That word power means dynamic achieving force. God has a dynamic achieving force that brings forth salvation. And, and that's what he does by faith in us as we believe in what Christ has done for us. And that dynamic force is at work in every one of us believers. And so that's how, that's how we learn to walk. Uh, um, it's, it, it's one of those things that uh, we need to learn to know and to walk in that dynamic force that is ours in Jesus Christ. There's an interesting 
two verses in uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 10 and verses 37 and 38. The writer of Hebrews says, For yet a little while, and he that will come, will come, and will not tarry. Come on, Lord Jesus, I'm ready. Uh, I, I was just uh, uh, in Sudbury a couple weeks ago, and there was this lady that I, I had uh, the privilege of having dinner with her a couple times in her home. She's, I think, about 95 now. And uh, uh, they told her, you've got terminal cancer, and you're going to die. And she said, praise God, I've been waiting to go home. <laughs> I thought that, that's a good response. That's a good response. Somebody tells you you got terminal cancer. You know, uh, praise God. That, that, that's our ticket home, you see. And, and that was her response. Uh, Even so, come Lord Jesus. Now, he says, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. That's how we live. We live by faith. That's the instrument that God has given to us to appropriate all he has for us. He says, but if any man draw back, that, that, Paul, Paul's a great man for using metaphors. And, and we'll see that as we go through here. That, that word draw back is to let down the sails. Let down the sails. When the wind of the Spirit is moving, don't let down the sails. When God is speaking, don't let down sails. Catch, catch the wind of the Spirit as it blows through. And know the power and presence of the wind of the Spirit. And uh, he, says, he says, My soul shall have no pleasure. That, that word pleasure really means my soul will be not well pleased with him. It doesn't mean God's going to wipe you out. But if, if you are not living as a believer and you are not appropriating the benefits and blessings that God has for you as a believer, then God's not going to be happy with you because you're quenching the spirit. You're not operating by faith. You're operating in the flesh. And so God will not be well pleased. And by the way, I, I have found in my life, and I've lived uh, quite a few years, that uh, whenever... Whenever God is not well pleased with me, he lets me know, and sometimes in ways that I don't really appreciate. Because sometimes it takes a pretty hard knock to straighten me out, you see. And so when God is not well pleased, he's going to do whatever it takes to get us back. Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and correcteth everybody who is a child of his. And so that's vital and important. So... The next thing that Paul tells us here, and I think it's important, and uh, I'll move on here from verse 6 in a moment, but uh, uh, that the Christian growth in grace and faith is not an option. It's not an option. It's a responsibility of every believer. It is not an option. You can't say, well... I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, doesn't matter, I just do what I want. No, it's not an option. He says, notice what it says there. Continue walking. Continue. Keep on walking. Keep on walking. And I have to ask myself the question, how am I walking? 
What's my walk like? And so I spent time on that sixth verse because I think it's, it's crucial. It's crucial for us as Christians to know and understand that. And then I'll go on in verse 7. He tells us how this grace is worked out in us. He says, having been rooted, that's what Christ did. You know, uh, in Isaiah 63, 61 verse 3, it says, we are the planting of God. I like that. We are the planting. We have been rooted. He uses an agricultural metaphor here. He says, God planted us. He, I don't know. Sometimes I plant and it doesn't work out too well. But when God plants, it grows and it's, it's powerful and it works. He says, we are God's planting. God planted us. And that's what he's saying here. He says, uh, uh, we have been rooted by God. But God did a work of rooting us and planting us. And then the second thing, he changes metaphors now. He goes from an agriculture to an architectural metaphor. Like I said, Paul keeps changing metaphors all the time. And he says uh, that we are being built up in the sphere of Christ. In other words, he says, God is taking hold of you and he's putting one block after another block after another block after another block that's making you look more like Christ as he's building you up in the sphere of Christ. And that's what God does, you see. He has this ongoing process. We're going to be talking about this, if you're interested, in uh, a prayer meeting. Uh, we started our discussion looking at Colossians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And uh, uh, God, God's in that process. That's what he wants to do. He wants, he wants all of us who are sitting here who know Jesus Christ as Savior to look more like Christ every day. That's what the object is. That's, that's why you're here as a believer on earth. So that every day you look more like Christ. So, and... Uh, it's important for us to understand that. And then he says the third thing in, in that seventh verse, that uh, we are made firm. We are made firm in our convictions about the truth. And the more you grow, the more you understand the word, the more, more strength you have, the more foundation in the word of God. And the word of God begins to speak to you and teach you. No. Like I said, I've, I've, been, I've been doing this for about 55 years now. And uh, I was reading the other morning and I opened my Bible and said, that wasn't here before. I just learned something new, you see. And, and that's the way God does it. He keeps, he keeps more and more and he keeps giving you. And the more you take, the more he gives. The more you take, the more he gives. And he keeps feeding you. If you don't feed... He says, no use putting the plate on the table. They're not going to eat it anyway. So he has to wake us up so that we can eat. But it's important. And then verse 8 deals with uh, uh, the dangers of humanism. And we looked at that earlier. And then verses 9 and 10 reminds us that everything that we need is ours because first of the deity of Christ, because of who he is and his power and his person, and that we as Christians are fully equipped and can walk the walk that God tells, wants us to walk 
because of Jesus Christ and his majesty and his deity and his glory. Notice what he says in that uh, ninth and 10th verse. He says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Everything that God is, Jesus is. Did you get that? Everything that God is, Jesus is. And that's why Jesus said to Philip, have I been so long with you and you say, show me the Father? Can't you see the Father? He's, he's right here in me. He's right here in me. And so if I want to know really who God is, I got to really get to know who Jesus Christ is. And as I get to know who Jesus Christ is, then... Uh, it makes a big difference. And then he says uh, in, in verse 10, he says, And you are complete. You are complete or you are mature in him, in Jesus Christ. As long as you're living in Jesus Christ, you're mature. You're maturing. You're growing. So that's where we have to live. And then... All of that because he is the ruler of everything. He is the ruler of everything. So we dwell there. And then now we get into verse 11. See, he all leads up to this. He said, in whom? In whom? This one who is deity. This one who is authority. This one who is power. This one who has everything. It says, in whom? In this one. In Jesus Christ. What happened in Jesus Christ? Notice what he says. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You notice he's changed his metaphors again. <laughs> he's, he's talked about agriculture He's talking about architecture, and now he's talking about circumcision. He's using a Jewish metaphor, and now he's changing it, and he says, uh, uh, Paul is telling us that everything is in Christ because of a circumcision that took place. It's all in the sphere of Christ. Now, uh, what does he mean by uh, circumcision here? Uh, Paul is using a metaphor, and it's vital and important for us to understand this metaphor and why he's using it. The word circumcision itself, the meaning of that word means to cut off, to cut off. And if you will notice what we saw in Ro Romans 6, and you will see it again over and over as we go through this section, that what he has done is he has in his death cut off, cut off the sins that kept us from God. Cut off what was necessary. We have been circumcised, cut off, from those things. And uh, this is vital important, and important. Uh, uh, I want you to notice. He says we were cut off. And it was by 
the circumcision made without hands. It was divine activity. It was God doing the circumcision. It's not something that I did. It's something that God did to me. He says it was made without hands. Now that has the other uh, emphasis that's important to us in that it was also a spiritual activity. It wasn't a physical activity as circumcision was with the Jews, but this was a spiritual activity because it was made without hands. And he uh, makes it very clear what happened to us was accomplished outside of ourselves. We didn't accomplish it. It was accomplished outside of ourselves. It was made without hands. And, uh, and then he shows us, as he goes on in this verse, that this cutting off or transformation was n made possible by what was cut off. Listen to what he says here. By the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh. What did God cut off when and Christ cut off when the cross took place? The sins of the flesh. That is my body. Those things I did day by day. So Paul, Paul here then is stressing two things. The word body, when he uses the word body, he's using the word body in the sense of every part of our body. The complete whole. Your arms, your legs, your mind, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your heart, whatever, whatever it takes to make up the body, he's looking at it as a whole. So he's talking about the body of offenses. What are the offenses? Those things which we were constantly doing that offended God. Did I do anything that offended God? Well, I, probably a better question is, did I do anything that didn't offend God? You see, because I was living in my flesh and what God did was he cut off everything of the past all the sins of the past everything everything that I had ever sinned in my body every sin that I have ever sinned or will ever sin he cut it off he took care of it I like, I like the way Jeremiah put it he says and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord that should be true of all of us. Do you go around to somebody in the fellowship of God's people and ask them, do you know Christ? You don't ask them that because you know they know the Lord. He says, you don't ask them that. He says, for, the, for they shall all know the Lord from the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. And he said, why? He explains why this is true. He says, for I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. 
What makes us a body here? What makes us a great bunch of people that come together and meet every Sunday to, to be fed in the Word of God? It's people who are aware of the fact that God has forgiven our sins. We are not responsible for all the sins that we have sinned. And we'll talk about that a little later because it becomes vital and important as he deals with the law. But it's important for us to understand that there is not a sin that I sin that God has not taken care of. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 103 verses 11 through 13. He says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. That is, then those people who have reverence for God. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Have you ever done traveling? You're going west. Do you ever get to the west? You, know, you keep going west. And the west is still out there somewhere. And you keep going and the west. If you go east, the east is still out there somewhere. Far as the east is from the west, they never connect, you see. He says, you, you, they're gone, they're obliterated, they're finished. He says, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And why? Why would God do that? He tells us here. He says, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities those that have reverence for us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? What a great thing. God, God loves me as his child. As his chosen one. And oh I could give you all kinds of verses. And, and it's vital and important for us to understand. That the whole body of my offenses were taken care of. He said every one of them. You know you, you, uh, you may walk around and say. Uh, Boy. I remember when I did. Whatever it was. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry about that. And God said, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. It's gone. It's been smudged out. The offenses aren't there anymore. This is a great thing. And then the second part of that phrase, he tells us where our offenses came from. And I think this is a real challenge for us as believers to understand. It comes from our flesh from our flesh from this stuff that you pinch and that aches and hurts and you know uh, it, it comes from our flesh and it's important he says uh, uh, all of us all of us when we were without Christ we were enemies of God we hated God we didn't like him we didn't want anything to do with him as a matter of fact, we did everything we could against him. We, we were total in total uh, animosity against God. And he said, uh, that's not so anymore. That's not so anymore because all the offenses have been cut off. All the, but we still have to deal with this flesh because as Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, he says, uh, this flesh, the out, outside part of us, it still has to be redeemed. And then our, uh, 
um, uh, adoption will be complete. Our adoption will be complete. But let me remind you that when you came to know Christ, you received a new heart. You had major surgery. You had a heart transplant. You may not have felt it, but you did. You had. It tells us in the book of Ezekiel, in uh, verse chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. He says, Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols and will I cleanse you a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my commandments and do them you see that's why God has given us a new heart He's given us a new heart so that we could follow him, be obedient to him. He's given us a heart so that we could have fellowship with him and, and walk with him. Jeremiah says the same thing in, in, in his promise from God, that God is going to give us a new heart. And God, if you're a believer here today, God has given you a new heart. If you're not a believer, you have to go to Jesus Christ and you have to find in him the grace and the sufficiency and ask him to give you a new heart. If the spirit of God is working within your heart, you have a responsibility to seek him and find him and you will have a new heart. Now, and I'm just going to say this quickly. I received a, 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 an email uh, from a friend of mine. And he had a little five-minute blurb that was uh, uh, by a, a well-known evangelical minister. Uh, and he was talking about this very issue. And my friend didn't know I was here. But uh, he just sent it uh, with a big question mark. And what this person said is exactly what I've said, that before we knew Christ, our heart was deceitful and above all things and desperately wicked. And he said, uh, uh, so as the Bible says, God has given us a new heart. And he has uh, put a new heart within us so that we could live like he, we should. And then what he said after that just about blew me out of the water. I had to listen to the thing four times to make sure I knew what he was saying. He said, but that heart's the same as the old one. It's deceitful and wicked. And he says, God's spending his, your whole life trying to sanctify that heart and make it. I thought, no, it's a new heart. It's a new heart. It's a transformed heart. It's a heart that seeks after God, that knows God, that has fellowship with God. It's not a deceitful, wicked heart. It's a heart that is new. The, the deceitfulness and wickedness is in my flesh, but not in my heart. Not in my heart. And uh, I, I was surprised at this man's making this kind of statement. And let me, let me tell you, when you sin, it's not your heart that's making you sin. It's the flesh. You sin because you listen to the flesh. That's what James says. He says, you hear the flesh, you listen to it, you follow it, and you follow its lust, and you sin. And you can't even blame the devil. We'll talk about that next week. You can't even blame the devil. You've got to blame yourself. 
your flesh. But you have a new heart. You're a new person. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're somebody new. Do you believe that? I ask myself that question. Do you believe that, David? Start living like that then. Live like somebody new. Live like somebody new. Live, live with a new heart life. Let me illustrate what this man was saying. You go into, you drive your car into the garage, right? And you say, my engine's really acting up. And the mechanic looks at it and he says, oh, your engine's really a mess. It, it really is. He says, I got another engine here. I can take yours out and put this new engine in. And for the next year or so, uh, it's not really in good shape, but we can work on it. You know, and, and get it so maybe in four or five years you'll have a nice engine after we've done all this work on it. And that's exactly what this teacher was saying that God has done with our heart. That's not what God has done. He's given us a new heart. We are a new creation. We are new people in Christ Jesus. And we have everything we need in Him. And the only reason I don't follow after Him is because of my flesh and I listen to my flesh. And I obey my flesh. And so I have to pray. I have to walk in the Spirit. I have to walk in the Word. And I have to walk in intimacy with Jesus Christ day by day. So I am following the direction of my new heart and not my flesh. And you know what? And I'll stop with this right now. That's what this passage is all about. We died with Christ together with him so we could do that and we have been raised together again with him so we can do that am I living together with Christ day by day that's my challenge that's the challenge of the word may God give us the grace to live like that let's pray together <clears throat> Father, these truths are so great and we're thankful that you didn't just save us out of hell, but you gave us everything that is necessary for life and godliness. Thank you for the life of Christ and his presence, the spirit who lives with us in your indwelling presence. May we live and walk by the faith that is ours that you've given to us. And may the world see us as a church and as individuals, as people who have been with Jesus. Grant this by your grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.